0: how's it going it's anthony Kazenza with the orange and black insider Bengals podcast and cincyjungle.com i hope that you're doing well i hope that you have enjoyed this past uh week since we have last since we've last seen you since we've last taken the air i hope that you have been enjoying yourself hopefully got a little relaxation not too much work but have also taken in all the sights and sounds of our wonderful show and with me as always is john Sheeran. john how's it going my friend
1: it's going about as well as it could be because we are in the middle of a tsunami in Cincinnati. It's going to rain for the next four days. It's already rained for the past half week, and just like the women's national team is raining on everybody in Paris, we 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 got the we got the dominance over there. So it's all good for me right now.
0: I like it. I like it. Um, I I wanted to you know I wanted to kind of start off with uh some some. Positive vibes, I guess, that have been surrounding the Cincinnati Bengals. And we need some of this. I I know because, you know, we go through this, we've been going through this season, and I think a lot of people, uh, national media members, casual NFL fans, you know, whoever, a lot of people have not been high on the Cincinnati Bengals for a variety of reasons. They think it's going to be a year of transition because of the coaching overhaul, certain. Stars they've had are getting older. There are questions with their starting quarterback. Um, you know, the list kind of goes on and on. Um, yeah, I mean, somehow a lot of folks still think that this team that has most of its players intact and have done some additions on the offensive line, which by the way, is another question mark on this team. Um, so somehow a lot of folks think that with a new coach and guys coming back from injury, that this team will somehow be worse than the six and 10 team that we saw last year um, with all those injuries and everything. Go figure. But we've kind of been hearing all off season that that's been the case, right? It's uh not a lot of optimism. Um, you know, th- this is probably going to be a, a rebuild year look to the next year or two for potentially another quarterback, that sort of thing. Well, recently really over the past week or handful of days, there's been more positive news or, or I guess a, a new flurry of positive news that have come about the Cincinnati Bengals. A couple of them have come from NFL.com and another has come from pro football focus. I, John, if it's okay with you, and hopefully this thing cues up well enough, I want to play a video clip from uh, the NFL Network, Good Morning Football. It's uh, it's a little bit through the uh, kind of the segment on the Bengals. They they are labeling the Bengals a sleeper team. Um, Kyle Brandt, who's on the show, he kind of had an interesting. I, I, I skipped that part. I'm going to skip that part, but kind of an interesting take to open the segment. Kay Adams. Talked about that she's she's interested in in the Bengals this year. Nate Burleson wasn't as high on the team, but Peter Schrager, which is the part I'm going to get to here, um, talking about Zach Taylor and the Bengals, and a little bit of positivity in terms of. So we're going to start with this. We've got another article, another couple of articles, and and we'll kind of break this down and talk about you know where these are coming from, are they founded, is it just idle chatter, that sort of thing. So, uh, I'm going to cue this up here. Yeah, and you don't know Zach Taylor and his background everyone gives
1: McVay and LaFleur this credit for what the Rams were. Zach Taylor was the guy that was
0: with that team and Zach Taylor was in the ear of Jared Goff just about every single play last season for the Rams and this is not a crazy hire because he is the next one. He's been the one that's been ascending for a long time. It was a great hire and Katie, your point, it's just new energy. energy. It's new energy. I don't know if I would say it's they had the two beds with Marvin Lewis in the bedroom, but I would say it got a little stale. Yeah, they had the couch, here. They had the couch, man. Yeah, right trust in. me. At the very least, there's yeah. a
2: fresh new energy.
0: He's 35 years old. Yeah. 35 years old i mean that would make him uh, a, a very young coach in any sport you put him in football he's yeah. the second youngest yeah, that's like exactly, a banner boy right there That's exactly right <laughs> so is he ready to go up against Harbaugh and tomlin and even Freddie
2: kitchens yeah okay we'll see yeah. but they've got a good staff around him and the players are talking and they're saying the right things i they're a perfect sleeper team right now in june where no one's talking about them. that's exactly where they want him to talking. be
0: so You know, there's, it's, it's a five minute segment. I could sit here and, you know, really play the whole thing for you. And I guess it would make our job a lot easier, but um, I wanted to start off with that and and we'll we'll kind of build a bit more with these other articles I'm talking about, but your thoughts on that, by the way, if you're wondering, John, what that comment about the beds and the couch and all that stuff that Kyle Brand made an odd metaphor with Marvin Lewis and, uh, the team kind of being old fashioned and buttoned up and doing a leave it to Beaver type of reference. Uh, watch the clip. It's interesting. It's funny, but your thoughts on kind of what Peter Schrager said. And, and really, I mean, the title of the segment is, are the Bengals legitimate AFC North contenders question mark. And there are a lot of comments there saying, yeah.
1: Yeah. I was kind of able to put that um, to that comment <laughs> t- together, but Something interesting he said, I would hope he's ready to compete with Freddie Kitchens because I don't think Kitchens has established himself at all in in any regards. At least he he has the experience of an interim head coach, but he's definitely not up there with Tomlin and Harbaugh and whatever. But, um, you know, it's nice to hear Schrager say that. I believe he was a a fan of the Bengals back in the 90s. I think he has some sort of connection with the team in itself or with the City of Cincinnati. But um, he's been on, I think, the Zach Taylor train since the, the hire was made official back in February. Um, g- going back to j- j- just just how Taylor kind of rose up to the spot and how he he became in position to become the Bengals head coach and everything that's happened since has kind of really reaffirmed I think his overall um, view of, of the hired in itself and like I, I think you said it perfectly just energy because that's been the that's been the one constant coming out of not only the players' mouths but also the coaches' mouths too because I, I, um, I think Paul Danner Jr. put out something for the athletic about how. Uh, the, the the seven assistant coaches who were with Marvin Lewis last year, what their take is on Zach Taylor's system and this process and this coaching style. And it's been nothing but positives with that. So the players and the coaches are kind of on the same page with this new direction that they're taking. And it, it, it's, it's a reinvigoration of that entire process of what's going on in that locker room. And I think that's definitely the, that's definitely the point that he's hammering home really loudly at this point. And I think it's reaffirming what, he has been saying since the, the beginning of the season and, and what a lot of us have been saying, it's just, a, it's just a fresh change. And that is the one thing that can ignite a team that's been stale, that's been you know stuck in the rut for the, these past three years and something that can potentially take them to a place that they, that they haven't been there before. Obviously all the pieces have to come together, but we'll get to a, a, other points of why th- th- this team is obviously a tremendous candidate to be a positive regression team. And I think Schrager basically hit it with the umbrella point about, about this is a, a type of change that needed to happen for them to to take over, you know, the, the, the Steelers, the Ravens, the, the, the usual faces at the, at the top of the division to do things that they haven't been able to do before under Marvin Lewis. And I think that's basically like the, the genesis of why yeah. it's important to have a coach like Zach Taylor take over for, you know, the same old Marvin Lewis song and dance we've seen for the past 16 years.
0: I, I think in, in the theme, you're kind of, Seeing or hearing um, from some of these things, and Zach Taylor is is relatable. His, his ability to relate to the players, um, both from a teaching and X's and O's standpoint, as well as um, you know a you know the the ability to I, I think there was something referenced in the video. It wasn't in the clip that I played, but um, you know there, there's something uh, to the effect of you know players are actually a little bit more. Engaging on in social media, um, they're they're just doing different things, and I, I think you're seeing a team that is responding to a coaching staff that was stubborn, that was stuck in their ways, uh, and I think a lot of that reflected on the field. Um, you know, I, I think you know in they're stuck in their ways about the players that they drafted and the players they brought in, the players they decided to resign the free agents. They, they decided to, to bring in. Now there wasn't an absolute overhaul on, on the free agency front uh, in this new regime or anything like that, but the character thing, um, you know, I think that's, that's something to be noted. Um, I, you know, you just look at it, and I, I think it's just kind of a pushing of the reset button, so to speak. And players are just responding to that. You're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of you know complimentary things coming from the team, and now I almost wonder if those are trickling over to the national media, and uh, you know, as to why. The, the, some of these people are now jumping on the Bengals bandwagon a little bit. I don't want to. I don't want to overstate this. But the other, the other article uh, or one article I wanted to talk about it was very interesting. And you can actually find the video clip uh, that I that I played there on this article. It's state of the franchise. Bengals uh, a sneaky sleeper in 2019. This is by Adam Rank, who hasn't been the most complimentary. Guy towards the Bengals uh, over the years, and this is on NFL.com. And if you know Adam Rank, he's a pretty interesting guy, and how he speaks and writes and all that kind of stuff.
1: He's a Bears Um, homer too. So
0: yeah, he is a Bears guy. Um, I, I mean, this is a really long, and and I have to give him credit. This is actually very, very well done, very well thought out. Um, You know, it goes from how the Bengals got here, the highs, the lows. um, You know, 2019 VIPs. Mm -hmm. The 2019 roadmap, uh, three key games. So, I mean, there's a you know a storyline everyone's overlooking, a storyline that every everyone's overthinking. I mean, there's a lot of stuff here. It's it's a very well thought out piece, but kind of the uh, in closing, I thought this was interesting. And again, this isn't overly complimentary, but it's a guy who I guess can says he can see the light at the end of the tunnel or the chance that this team could be immediately competitive. And he, he writes, I'm approaching the Bengals season much in the same way I approached going to see Aquaman in theaters. I wanted to believe and have optimism, but I didn't get my hopes up. The good news for the Bengals is the division rival Browns have taken all the hype and attention away from them. Taylor is not under major pressure in year one. And the Bengals weren't that bad last season before the injuries piled up. Taylor might be able to mimic the success McVay had right off the bat with the Rams and the Bengals might just find themselves in the playoff hunt. I mean, stranger things have happened and I loved Aquaman. So, uh, I saw Aquaman by the way. It was, it was pretty good. I wouldn't say I loved it, but, um, again, it's one of those things where you go, uh, okay. Understandable. Um, uh, the skepticism is understandable the you know i don't know I, I mean i guess the doubts are there but you also see a guy who sees the potential of this team and can see that hey this this could be something exciting right away even though nobody has been talking about them
1: yeah and i think that's that's an important point because now we're, we're starting to get to the part of the offseason where people are trying to hop on, you know, you know, buy low teams basically just like stocks because um, the, like the, the whole trend with the NFL playoffs is that on average about five to six new teams make the playoffs every year. And, you know, however many teams, you know, minus that uh, miss the playoffs after one year, it's very hard to go back to the playoffs back to back times. So I think, you know, analysts are looking at the Bengals and they're thinking, okay, this is the team that's struggled for the past three years um, by and large, most of the talent from, you know, uh, from the past couple of years are still with the team. They're still good players. And some of the, the negatives from the team basically have been liquidated from the franchise, basically all the bad has, been, most of the bad has been replaced with the good. And most of the good there is still there. So you, you, you have a team with a lot of the pieces that, that are there to make a run, but they just haven't been proven to do that. And that, that's, I think, comes with the low expectations. You don't expect them to make the playoffs. But if there is a team that could be one of those five teams that didn't make the playoffs last year, the Bengals have a very strong case with that. And another thing is mimicking the Rams and replicating it to a certain degree of success, I think is a key distinction because obviously the Rams are as talented as hell and they have multiple pro bowlers or should be pro bowlers on that on that offensive roster. And even the quarterback play is definitely in the Rams' favor at, at the moment, even though Andy Dolan has a, a number of years on Jared Goff. So that's definitely going to be the key because we have to assume that, that the defense is going to be at some degree better because it was hard to get a lot worse than, than last year. But the offense could go either way. And it really depends on how it really depends on how that offense, you know, kind of meshes fr- from the beginning, how that system kind of comes together with the pieces there, because they, you know, at, at this point, the offense is, is going to have to carry them because this this defense still hasn't proven to be dominant in, in that way. So, you know, I think he harped on the, the correct point there. If he can, if they can mimic the Rams' offense and what they do successfully to at least some degree with some degree of consistency, then they're going to be able to. Make a push against a fourth place schedule, and I think that's another thing that that some people are starting to look at is, is that the, the, the Browns aren't facing the this bottom of the AFC teams anymore because they, they we were in last place last year. That, that's the Bengals' job now, playing the Bills, playing some other bottom of the bottom of the league teams. So they're going to have chances to, to string together wins, and you know a winning streak was so hard to come by last year, especially towards the end of the year. So you know all those factors coming together, I, I think that's where this low expectation, but potentially, you know, high result is, is kind of, is kind of formulating from.
0: Yeah. And I want to, before we, and I want you to talk about the the next article because you were the one who brought it to my attention. Um, but, but before we do that, um, I, you know, I want to go back to what I said about the stubbornness and things of that nature with this team and where Zach Taylor can potentially make a difference on that front. Now, this staff is losing, it gained experience in some areas in terms of coaches. It lost quite a bit of experience in terms of coaches in other areas, including the head coach. But And, and experience is to be valued, obviously. Um, you know, guys are familiar with the, with the NFL, and um, for, for all the things we want to harp on about Marvin Lewis, he did have quite a bit of success against the Ravens, against the Browns we know we know some of the positive things that he did uh, and they outweighed the negatives uh, for the most part while he was in Cincinnati but the one thing I want to talk about with the stubbornness and where Zach Taylor could be making a difference is the in-game stuff the adjustments the the ability to be a little bit more fluid and less rigid in a game um I ca- I can't tell you how often I have thought about, the 2013 playoff game against the, the, the then San Diego Chargers. Um, that was a game that I think most people felt, especially a home playoff game. I can't tell you, how, you know, how... I go back to that so often because that is a game that I think most people would have thought that the Bengals would have won on their home turf, kind of bad cold weather um, they had a talented roster, probably the most talented team aside from 2015 in the recent era. And, you know, they just, they did not get it done. And where you really saw some things were some in, some statements made by Chargers defenders saying, you know, they were throwing things at us that we knew were coming. Um, they didn't make any adjustments from the first time we saw them. They didn't make any adjustments at halftime. Some people buy into that stuff. Some people do not. But I think in this league, where you know it, it's it's a real fast-paced league. It's a uh, knee-jerk reaction league in terms of potential hirings and firings and that sort of thing. You have to be able to be fluid, and I think that probably is one of the things that draws the Bengals to Zach or drew the Bengals to Zach Taylor in terms of hiring his ability potentially to work with a quarterback, to work with an offense. And now hopefully the rest of the team to be able to be to transition in game and be a little bit unpredictable.
1: Yeah. And I, I, first of all, I have no, I have no idea what game you're talking about. I don't remember the Bengals ever losing the playoff game to the Chargers at home. Definitely not without Geno Atkins. That game never happened. Anyways, that was with the 10-year head coach, by the way. And like, th- that is a game that would get 31 other head coaches fired. And that was like the most frustrating thing with it. It's that the, the fact that it was year three into this mini rebuild that they had just the re just the reset of the franchise and wasn't really resetting anything because all the, all the main problems were still there. So it, it was just the extra staleness of the staleness of the franchise. And the fact that it's changing now, I, I think it's just a wake up call to, to most other people, but uh, I'll just say this. If people want, if just the casual fan wants two reasons why the Bengals will win more than they did last year, my, my two things would be injury regression and close wins regression. Two things that have shown over the years that they're not consistent. They're not um, stable things that go from year to year. A team that is very much injured in one year is typically less injured the next year. That's just natural Uh, that's just that's just natural that's just natural with the nfl and also close games is something that you have to take a look at the Bengals were two and five in one score games in the 2018 season and going back to i think 2006 every team that finishes below 500 um in one score games ends up winning at least one or two games more in the next season because it what, what, what was found in the study was that one score games are essentially coin flips and that they're not consistent going going in year to year so Teams who are were unlucky in one year typically end up doing better in one-score games the next year, and typically will have an increase in, in overall wins. And when you couple the fact that, yeah, you would hope that some of those problems and in, 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 um in-game problems and coaching issues that they were they will all be at the very least minimized with a new staff and with a new system in place. Again, you have the same pretty much the same talent in there. You hopefully you, you have you know more games coming out of AJ Green and Tyler Eifert and AD Dolan and at that point. All those things kind of add up, and you're thinking, okay, maybe it's not crazy to assume that the Bengals can take some some jump from the six wins that they had last year. I, again, they, they have to prove it, but I do think that even for a natural pessimist like like me, there is a lot of reason for optimism of improvement. Not dominance, but just improvement. So when I see you know projections of three to five wins, I just don't think there's a lot of data behind that.
0: Right. I, I, I kind of – and they also said this, you know, I don't want to steal everything from this video, but it's something I've said before anyway. I, in this video clip, they kind of—I think it was Kyle uh, Kyle Brandt—who said, "You know, a lot of reasons for this cynicism towards the Bengals is because they fooled us before, and oh, it's the Bengals, right? It's it's the reasoning for a lot of this stuff is because it's the Bengals. Um, in terms of the negativity, but uh, I, you know, he said that you got to kind of wipe that." From your memory and know that this is a, a transition. And there was another article you had, I think it was through Pro Football Focus, that not really on the same level in terms of the team being a sleeper team, but it is on the same wavelength in terms of positivity with the team and uh, a little bit of kudos being thrown their way.
1: Yeah. So this article is not out on, on since Jungle yet, but definitely look forward in the, in the coming weeks um pro football focus put together their top five pass catching duos in the nfl right now and number five on that list happened to be none other than aj green and tyler boyd and it was impressive to me because the list not only was just receivers but it included receivers running backs tight ends and in 2019 you know passing has never been more important than the nfl and the saturation of the, the 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 receiving talent pool and the pass catching running back talent pool and the tight end talent pool has never been greater you know you you have lower level coaches that are asking you know receivers at the bottom of the depth to move the quarterback because you know there's so much talent at that position and there's not enough bodies to defend them so in today's nfl if you have a top five pass catching duo that's something that definitely needs to be commended for and just looking at the rest of the list in this order it went number one Adam Thielen and Stefan Dicks of the Vikings, which I think objectively is probably the best one-two punch you have in the NFL. Number two was actually a fellow AFC North team, Odo Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. They haven't actually played together yet, but they already took the number two spot. Number three was Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey of the Chiefs. We don't even know how many games Tyreek Hill is going to play this year, if he's going to play at all, but Travis Kelsey is pretty clearly the best tight end in the game with the retirement of Rob Gronkowski. And number four is Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. So, Anthony, I think there is... Aside from number one, but that's just kind of my opinion, there's a lot of debate with where you would even place AJ Green and Tyler Boyd here because for for starters, you know, Green and Boyd have only really played together and dominated together for one year. Boyd had an impressive rookie season for rookie standards, but he wasn't definitely wasn't at the level of twenty eighteen that he was on. And even then, you know, you 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 had A. J. Green miss seven games. So you really only have a half year of dominance with A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, but here here we see them at number five, but you can almost put them ahead of maybe one or two of those of, of those other, other duos. I, I have two in my mind that I would probably make the best arguments for. but in your opinion, if you had to keep the same five duos here, where would you place Green and Boyd um, assuming all the other variables stay?
0: It's it, it first of all, I mean it is a big compliment uh, because I mean, you look at uh, the names you mentioned, Thielen Diggs, Beckham Landry, Hill, Kelsey. Thomas Kamara, Green and Tyler Boyd. Um, I mean, that's that's a big list. Uh, like you, I'm hard pressed to move them up high. I, I mean, I think talent wise, they sh- they. Sh- that's the key. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that that argument can easily be made that hey, that you know, they could be number two. They could be number, you know, they could be. There's arguments to be made for number one. Um, especially with the fact that, like you said, Green missed almost half a season last year and was tearing it up. Boyd was tearing it up already with Green out of the lineup and just got more looks when Green... uh, Boyd was tearing it up with Green in the lineup and started tearing it up even more with him out of the lineup because he got Mm -hmm. more looks. Um, So, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of arguments that could be made here. The problem is, you know, these guys that are on here just kind of have a longer track record a bigger sample size of success than those two together because if you go back when green was healthy in 2017 boy didn't do much right he, he kind of had actually a a decrease from his rookie year in 2016 so and then in 2016 he wasn't he had a, a nice year as a rookie player but still didn't have the type of statistics that he had last year. So the sample size is kind of small and the sample size, like you said, with them together and producing at a high level is kind of small. So, you know, I, I I could see an argument where you could say, Hey, I mean, they could be above, uh, you know, they could be at number three, but especially with Tyreek Hill and all of his weird stuff going on off the field that could affect things going forward for him. I mean, there's an argument there you know, Alvin Kamara, you know, great weapon. You could, you could make some arguments there. Um, Beckham and Landry, they they played together in college. Uh, This hasn't, you know, they haven't shared the the football yet with the Browns, like everything and everybody else, they are crowning the Cleveland Browns. Um, So, you know, I mean, there's a lot of arguments to be made here. I think five is fair for a number of different things. I do want to, point this stat out john um and and i want to ask you the same question you asked me but um this is this is an eye-popping statistic boyd actually led the league's receivers who saw at least 45 targets in that span with a 134.1 passer rating um and that's that is with, with andy dalton whatever your thoughts are on him and that is with Jeff Driscoll, uh, I, I think, in terms of that span that they're talking about. Um, so, I mean, that's a very, very impressive statistic. And that makes him a quarterback's best friend. And the fact that he could do a little bit on the outside, he does the dirty work on the inside. Um, you know, I, I think that that is something to be marveled at. And hopefully last year is wasn't the outlier. It's It was that big pivotal third year that propels him um, moving forward but your yeah. thoughts on if uh, you know fair ranking um, could you do you have a s- specific or solid argument to, for them to be higher on that list
1: well first of all I think it is definitely a fair rating just just to be here I think is extremely commendable for them and it's very fair because you can order this list in uh, numerous different ways but I think you harped on like my first big point like the fact that you know h- how much of their production should be inflated w- with probably the 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 second worst or maybe even the worst quarterback on this list for, for the teams that are listed. And that's just relative to the teams that were listed because with the Chiefs, you have Patrick Mahomes, who's obviously better. The, the Saints had Drew Brees. He's obviously he's a future Hall of Famer. um the, Even the Browns, Baker Mayfield's incredibly impressive and might have more natural ability than Dalton. And then the Vikings have a pretty comparable one in Kirk Cousins. So when you compare Dalton to all those, you have to think, okay, it's even more impressive for the production that A.J. Green consistently produces. And just like you said, it was incredible with, with what Tyler Boyd did in his third year, especially with playing with Jeff Driscoll for half the year and, and producing the efficiency numbers that he did produce. So that's definitely something that should help them out. And then I also just started looking like comparing the receivers individually and looking at like, you know, who's the number one, who's the number two in this scenario. And I think you can make the argument that A.J. Green might be, just be the, the most naturally gifted receiver who's the number one option out of this. You know, maybe you can have an argument for Tyree kill because he's just more explosive and you can do a couple more things with him in numerous parts of the field. But I think still you would probably take AJ green as just an all around receiver over Michael Thomas, probably over both Thielen and Diggs, and, you know, and, and I think he's pretty much in the same tier as Beckham. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make the full fledged argument that either one is better than that, but then you compare Tyler Boyd to like the secondary options. Um, probably Thielen or Diggs is better than him. I think there's a, a clear argument that you would, that the average NFL fan would probably rather have the receiver and Tyler Boyd than the receiver in Jarvis Landry. And I know Landry's production speaks for himself and the type of neutral that he's in. But I think in terms of natural ability, there's more that you can do with Tyler Boyd. And then, you know, it's hard to compare him to Travis Kelsey because he's the best tight end in the game. So you could probably put Boyd behind him. And then Alvin Kamara, I mean, one of, if not the best receiving backs in the NFL, but you can do more with Boyd down the field. So you probably take him j- just relative to, to the players that are listed. So when you're looking at comparing guys from an individual standpoint, there's a clear argument where you can have you know the Bengals over the Browns in this scenario or even over the Saints. So I think anywhere in that three to five range is probably the most accurate. Maybe like I, I would go, I would probably go f- three, I, I guess. I would, I would keep the Vikings at the top with Thielen Diggs. I would put the Chiefs with uh, Tyreek and Kelsey there, and then I would—I I might have like a three-three A three B relationship with the Saints and the Bengals, and then I would probably put the, the Browns at five, just because you know Landry doesn't really scare me that much. The the, the the potential chemistry that he can have with Beckham is definitely dangerous, and the relationship that that they, those two share is definitely notable. But I just think from all the receivers and the pass on this list, Landry is the one that scares me the least. And I think, again, Beckham is very comparable in terms of talent and production with Green. He's in that same elite tier still. So I, I, I think three or four is probably where you would probably put them. And But, but again, I'm not in any way upset with putting them at five. I, I still think it's an impressive um, accomplishment to be even recognized with this group because, again, there's so many great pass-catching duos in the NFL because the NFL is just filled with so many great receivers and receiving running backs and tight ends. So the fact that the Bengals have both these guys and – they're both up for extensions should, should make this a no brainer when it comes to August.
0: Yeah. And the other thing, uh, and I think it was maybe T Martin in our, and not that T Martin, I don't think uh, in the uh, live YouTube chat said something to the effect of uh, trios, you know, um, uh, receiving trios. I mean, that's the one caveat to this thing. I mean, if you look at those teams, maybe the Browns based on having some guys, Njoku and Callaway and, uh, you know Duke Johnson, and you know they—they've they, got guys who can catch the ball at a lot of different spots. Um, I mean, the Bengals. John Ross puts stuff together. He can catch the ball. Mixon and Geo, they can catch the ball well. Eifert's healthy. He can catch the ball. Uzama, he can catch the ball. I mean, the Bengals depth-wise as well. Aside from those top two guys, they've got guys that can catch the ball from a lot of different spots, which. Going back to what we were talking about earlier, bodes well for Zach Taylor in the in the offense that he's trying to create potentially a McVay type of offense for the for the Bengals. So, um, all in all, John, I mean, a lot of all of a sudden, kind of a flurry of compliments have come this way. And I, I, to tie a bow on this, I guess, um, is this is this something that you're buying into? Is this idle chatter because it's a little bit of a slower part of the NFL calendar and they just want to kind of talk about all teams at this point to pique interest or is this something where all of a sudden pundits media members they've they've heard the chatter from the players and the energy from the players the, the new energy they've actually seen some of the, the on field work granted it's in helmets and shorts they've seen some of the on field work and go wow that's right they have that guy oh yeah that's right they're deep at that position too and all of a sudden now a little bit of momentum. If you remember last year, that's kind of what happened last year at, to some degree, right? I mean,
1: mm-hmm.
0: nobody thought they were going to be very good, and then all of a sudden they started seeing practices as training camp opened. Then they, they went 3-1 and one in the preseason and were playing very well. The starters were playing very well, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, people may want to look out for this team. So is is it a similar type of thing finally happening, or is this kind of just people talking?
1: I think... I I think it's a combination of the subjective factors that we kind of always hear mixed with the objective factors with the data on their side. Because, like, for once, I think you can finally say that something might be different just because Marvin Lewis isn't here and and the familiar faces he has on, on staff and on the roster aren't here anymore. So anything that you might hear, you know, how things are different. I think you can actually somewhat believe at this point because in the past couple of years, I just refused to believe that, even if I always heard it from the same you know sources. So you know the the the, the usual sayings with a team that gets a new staff and you know a, a reinvigorated energy with the team, like that that just comes to the territory and it's not the thing that really puts the team over the top. I just I just think that there is also objectively solid reasons of why this team could bounce back and be actually good. And that was the the two I mentioned earlier. They're they're going to be just naturally healthier this year because that's just the law of regression. And I just think there there, there's going to be definite games when they're not going to have Jeff Driscoll playing quarterback and Andy Dolan is going to lead them to a couple more, just one score games. And they don't need to be perfect in those games because if they're perfect, then there's probably going to be a a rude awakening the year afterwards. But I think they're going to just be better and just, and just win a couple more games that they should have won last year, just because they're going to be healthier and just things are just going to go their way this time, because that's just, that's just kind of how it happens in the NFL where, you know, things change so frequently and, and teams who are unlucky one year typically end up just being a little bit luckier next year. So with health and with just, just things bouncing the right way with the with the talent that they have, I think there is a case for this team to make a, a quiet playoff push. And I think that's just invokes what a sleeper in, in June is all about.
0: Yep. And we've kind of been saying it as fans. We've been saying it as a, a website at cincyjungle.com. And um, now some other people are finally opening their ears and – and uh, you know, talking about it. So, uh, you know, after a lot of uh, an off season kind of filled with question marks, an off season kind of filled with, uh, I think, inside our own little who day bubble. Um, you know, we we'd like to think that things are turning around, but now some of that outside chatter of um, negativity has turned a little bit. This is the Orange and or Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Kazenza. He's John Sharon. We are aware a little bit of a of a video issue going on for the live viewers on YouTube. Not exactly sure what happened. Uh, we are working to fix that. So stick with us if you're joining us live, or if you end up watching this video after the fact. Um, at a minimum, you get to hear our beautiful voices, and uh, we'll we'll try and we'll try and figure all that out. But you can also get this show and all of our other uh, mini-episodes and things we do on this program. You can get it on iTunes, you can get it on Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Megaphone. As I mentioned, the website, cincyjungle.com, all of our stuff is on there. And YouTube, even though, for some reason, video isn't working for the first part of this episode. But we'll try and figure that out. But uh, thanks for downloading how you do. Thanks for tuning in How you, however you get our show. And thanks for subscribing to all of our channels.
2: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, hits the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 29.com.
1: So, in the spirit of optimism, I was thinking that, with players coming back from injury, with players going into pivotal years in in their careers, I think this is the right time to put together some over under prop bets for the Bengals offense and maybe even a defender or two. So for starters, let's just let's just go through let's just go through the depth chart here. Let's just go through from from quarterback to for, to whatever. So starting with Andy Dalton, Anthony, do you think over under twenty three touchdowns?
0: Yeah, so this this segment's for the betters out there, right? Uh, yeah. Hey, you can you can do a, a, a lot of fun things with this, I guess. Um, you can, uh, you know, play a drinking game. I guess you can put some money down, whatever <laughs> you want to do. Um, so you said twenty three touchdowns, right? Twenty three touchdowns. Yeah. So we came up with that number, I think, because on average in his career. Andy Dalton is basically throwing 23.5 touchdown passes per season. That's the average. Um, He threw
1: 25 in like 13 games or 12 12 games back in 2015
0: too. Right, right. And then, of course, numbers were affected last year as well because the season was cut short. So I will say over, um, and I will say over because I don't foresee Dalton getting hurt again this year. Uh, I don't see him getting benched either. Uh, I see this offense working well for him, but I think if it's over, it's barely over because Mm -hmm. the team will want to run the ball a lot. Um, I think uh, some of those touchdowns will be, I don't want to use the word cheap, but they could be short yardage goal line type of, you know, dump offs to the back or tight end, that sort of thing. Um, to kind of pad the stats a little bit, but I think it would be barely over 23.
1: Okay. And, and that, that last point is kind of interesting to me because I'm thinking if this is going to really like mirror what the Rams are doing, like Todd Gurley was so effective in the red zone as a runner. Like he had 17 touchdowns and they were all in the red zone. I think Joe had, I think eight with one coming outside the red zone. I could be wrong with that. Someone could definitely uh, fact check me for that, but, I think, I, I think Joe Mixon is going to see more opportunities as a runner in the red zone, which might decrease some of the touchdown opportunities that Dalton has. And this and this is, could definitely be like a fantasy um, outlook as well. But 23 over 16 is about like one one and a half. And ju- just looking at like the guys he's throwing to, like when Eifert's on the field, he's, he's one of the best red zone threats in the NFL, but you can only really count him to free for being on the field for less than 50% of the games. So say he gets like just a handful you have you have aj getting like his usual like eight to ten Tyler boy getting somewhere in the range of like you know six or seven maybe a little bit less for john ross from from last year seven so you know not all is up that's that's right around like the mid the, the the mid to low 20s or maybe even the high 20s so i i, I think that mid20 range is pretty safe and i think this th- this would be definitely an intriguing just prop if it was official i'm gonna say it just like you over but barely over because i think Mixon is going to have a lot easier time in the red zone, get, getting those scoring opportunities and, and, you know, not being stopped at the goal line because the Bengals are condensing everything and making it obvious that they're going to run. Um, but, but, but yeah, I, I think if he plays all 16 games, he's going to average probably just over one and a half touchdowns per game. because so I think his career is like 1.6 um, per, per, per 16 games. So I'm going to say barely over with that as well. So our next one, we have the running back Joe Mixon. Who last year had just about uh, 14, 1,500 yards from scrimmage, and that's about for for how many games he played? Was, well, I think it was a little bit over um, like one hundred yards per game, and that was honestly putting it put in frankly that was with him being largely misused as, as a receiver. You know, he has natural receiving talent; he has the ability to line up from the slot and you know, you know, to take passes down the field. So, I think you're going to see a, a definite increase in usage for him as a receiver and just increase effectiveness as a receiver. So I I, I think 1600 would be a, a proper, just going with a hundred per game would be a proper, you know, bo- borderline to, to set, but also, you know, there, there comes the question of, is he going to be rotated in more of Giovanni Bernard? Are they going to keep him fresh? Are they going to keep him fresh for a potential playoff run? Are they going to, know, rotate him more and more as the season goes on. So they don't want to have what happened to Todd Gurley. So while the touchdowns may increase, maybe the overall usage decreases, but still hundred yards from scrimmage per game for Mixon Is that too much or too little? What are you going with?
0: Oh boy. Uh, again, this, this has to do with, uh, this would have to do with health also. Uh, I mean, he, he was out a couple of games with that knee scope. Um, you mentioned the usage. i I think just because the team is going to be run heavy, i I think that that's I think that's doable. And I think he has proven Brian Baldinger of also of NFL Network, kind of broke down some video recently. I think it was on Twitter and on on the website itself. He broke down some video talking about how he thinks Mixon could, could lead the league in rushing and potentially all-purpose yards, um, and I think that has to do with health. What's interesting, and you can see it on the video breakdowns by him and many others, Mixon creates a lot of big plays with poor blocking mm-hmm. um, and, and has done so really in his first two seasons, especially at times last year. Um, Uh, So I, I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he is, uh, you know, he's getting over a hundred yards per game from scrimmage. Maybe, especially if other guys stay healthy, maybe the the receiving yards go down a little bit, but um, I I think they're going to, I think they're going to work them.
1: Yeah. And and that's definitely the, like the, that's the main question. Like, how much are they going to work him? Because I, I, I think when you look at the landscape of running backs in terms of who can be a bell cow, I think Mixon is right up there with guys who can take twenty touches a game and still be fresh because he's just that type of athlete. I just think that with what with what uh, Taylor saw happen with Todd Gurley last year and how they you know had to lean on CJ Anderson, who fortunately had a great year for them because the run blocking was so good. I think that's kind of going to be influenced with what they do with Mixon. And the fact that they drafted two running backs, two very capable running backs, I think there's going to be more rotation that we see just to keep mixing fresh. So I, I think the efficiency is going to be there, if not even better than what we saw last year because the run blocking, I think, is going to be just j- just marginally better, if not just slightly better. But I'm going to say just barely under and not not because the I think the receiving is going to go up, but I think the rushing is, isn't going to go up as much as we think. But, um, but I will say, I think he scores more rushing touchdowns than he did last year, which was, I, th- I think, nine or so. So, like, and again, like if you finish this with, say, like a thousand r- r- uh, rushing yards, 400 receiving yards, I think that's still a really good season. And, you know, on somewhere around like less than 300 touches, overall touches, that's still, you know, a, a great average per touch for in terms of yards per touch. So I think the efficiency is going to be there, but maybe not the volume that people are expecting. Yeah, so now. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah nice so just real quick nine total touchdowns uh yeah you gosh you look at his you look at his numbers i mean almost five 4.9 yards of carry almost 1200 yards rushing nine total touchdowns led the afc in rushing yards and didn't make the pro bowl i mean i, I don't <laughs> well, my I, did. <laughs> yeah i i don't i don't understand what more the, the guy had to do but anyways go ahead all right so let's
1: this one could potentially um shock some people, but we set the over/under for AJ Green receiving yards at a thousand. Now, a thousand is something that he barely almost, that he almost hit in 2016 when he missed six games. That he was that he wasn't that close to this year, last year because he missed more games. But he hit over a thousand receiving yards when he's played the vast majority of of any season in the eight seasons that he's played. We said a thousand though because there, there could be. More equal distribution with how the ball is going to be spread out in this offense. You have to think that Ross Ross's receiving yards are going to go up. You have to think that Tyler Boyd's going to be around around the thousand, the eight hundred to nine hundred range as well. You would like to think that Tyler Boyd can be more implemented in the offense, or as long as he stays healthy, and then you have guys like Sample and Usoma taking touches away. And and again, you like like we said, Mixon should be used more effectively as a receiver. And Giovanni Bernard is still there; he can catch the ball as well. So. As, as long as there's enough bodies for Taylor to utilize and Dalton to throw to the, the opportunity for green to really hit like w- with the rest of the elite receivers in terms of receiving yards, like a Julio Jones or Deandre Hopkins, it goes down and it's not that green can not hit that because obviously he's shown he can, but if everybody stays healthy, I I think he's going to be closer to a, a thousand yards than people may think because you can always count on him for getting in that 1100 to 1300 range. But Again, if everyone stays healthy, I think it's very likely that this offense will do a lot in its power to not force feed the ball to him because other guys are getting more advantageous opportunities to get the ball, so over under a 1,000 yards.
0: I like the Dalton thing. I'm going to say over, but barely. Um, I mean, we I put up a post that was uh, having to do with our, our show last week on Cincy Jungle, and 63. basically the question was, what should we expect from A.J. Green? in terms of statistical output 63% said more of the same greatness which is what you said probably that 1100 1200 1300 yard range which we've become accustomed to when he's healthy only 9% said a decline because of multiple factors and 29% his greatest year yet john you mostly talked about the, you mostly talked about the plethora of weapons that the Bengals could use and and all of that there is the the health factor Um, you know, the fact that he's getting over 30 and I think he's gonna be 31 by the time the season starts. Uh, and we know that receivers, as they get into their thirties, even ones as good as AJ green can, their, their their production can dip a little bit. Um, I, I think that they will still give green a lot of looks, but like you, I don't think they will force feed him as much. I don't, I, I think he'll still get a lot of looks, but um, i think i think he'll probably be kind of barely over the a thousand um i i don't i don't see an injury striking him again at least not in the way maybe he'll miss a game or two but uh i i don't see him you know missing the six seven eight games or something that that he has the past uh like last year and and a couple of years ago
1: yeah i i think over is definitely the safer one because as long as he plays 16 games it's hard to imagine he's not averaging at least 60 receiving yards per game because you think like he's averaging like 15, 15 a catch, probably getting at least four catches a game. So a thousand would probably be like the bare minimum if, if everything goes right. But I do think that if everything clicks, there's, there's more of a possibility now that he gets under with everything else going right around him than it was in years past. So we're going to do one more. And it's not an offense player this time, it's a defensive player in Jesse Bates who had, I want to say, how many interceptions did he have last year? Three or four?
0: Oh, uh, I think he had three. Let me double check. Uh, he, may have had, he may have had four. Um,
1: yes, yeah, so we had three. So four. Yeah, and
0: uh, I, th- I think Sean Williams had four. Um, right. Yeah.
1: Which honestly, a Bengals defender getting more than one interception in a year is, is, a, is a miracle in itself. Yeah. But yeah, Bates definitely had that eight week stretch in the beginning of the season when he was a legitimate candidate for rookie of the year and presumably under a a more simplistic defensive scheme under Lou and You would like to think that he gets more acclimated and comfortable leading this defense and leading the secondary in, in itself. And maybe with a more potent pass rush, you have, or Aaron passes over the middle. And again, you would like to see a, a positive progression in Bates's game because where he is right now is already at a great level and he's, a, he's a talented and athletic. So hopefully you would like to see him take a next step this year in, in potentially a better defensive scheme. So over under four interceptions for Bates this year.
0: Over or under, huh? I can't, I can't stand, uh, stand. I was going to say at. close
1: to, but I'm not going to do that.
0: Okay. Um, I'll say under. Um, and I, you know, I, I just uh, – the, the four interceptions is a lot. It, it really is. Um, and, and I – not that I don't think he can do it. I just think that, that you know, again, he might be just under that, maybe a two or three interception season. Um, interestingly enough, though, uh, Pro Football Focus uh, yesterday put out a tweet. He was the second second among rookies um, in terms of yards per yards per snap allowed. Um, so, I mean, he's, he's a good football player. That was a very good pick for a guy that wasn't really on a lot of people's radar until really up, up right up until the draft last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I think, I think that he, I, I just, I don't think that he'll, he, he'll get four this year. Um, I'd like to see an increase in turnovers in general from the defense, but, uh, I, I think he'll kind of be in that two to three range. Um, and that's fine. Uh, if other guys step up and get get turnovers, I, I think everybody would take that. I think everybody notes that he played well last year.
1: Yeah, and and I think that the the two factors that are important here is that um, quality secondary play from an individual standpoint and from a team standpoint is hard to maintain from year to year. It's harder to do than, than like a solid pass rush, but quality secondary play can be even more important to a defensive success. So I I, I think. That the overall team number of interceptions is going to go up from just natural regression. I think William Jackson is going to get more opportunities. Maybe even Drake or Patrick lucks into one because it bounces off some dude's head or something like that. Um, but but yeah, I think I think Sean Lewis is going to get his. I think Bates is still going to be able to find the ball. I think four might be pushing it. Like again, I would love to say four, but I think three or two is probably a comfortable guess for this year because there's only so many interceptions for a team for a team to have, and I don't think this is going to be some 2018 bears or 2017 Jaguars defense by any means or, or anything like that. So I think, I think three or two is probably safe. So I'm going to go, I'm going to join you with under as well.
0: Okay. Uh, I've got one more for, it's the same number for two different players. Uh, and we can maybe end on this one. If you are okay with that, John,
1: let's, let's do it.
0: Um, so I have for it, This number will be for both Carlos Dunlap and, Geno Atkins, it's in the category of sacks. Um, So I'm looking at eight sacks for each of them Um, Hmm. for the season. I say that, um, I'm saying that because D- Dunlap has averaged just over eight sacks per year in his career. Right, he had eight. <laughs> you look at the last three seasons: eight sacks, seven and a half sacks, eight sacks. Um, so he is particularly difficult to read on this one. But I, I, what, what do you think about eight sacks, especially now that he's entering his tenth season?
1: I think eight's too much for Dunlap. I think we've probably seen the best of him in terms of an athleticism standpoint. And just the best of him as a as a pass rusher. I'm not saying it's going to be a full blown Michael Johnson drop off where he's just a two down player, but I think in terms of providing pressure, he's still going to be about what he is. But in terms of finishing pressure, that was always like the main thing that, that we harped on him. In, in terms of just overall consistency as a pass rusher, he only had that like that one incredible year back in 2015 where he had like 12 or 13. Everything besides that has been you know hovering around eight to 10. Um, I, I I just think that you know, he's not going to completely fall off the cliff, but I think he's at the apex right now, just on the way down a little bit. Um, I, I, I think a would be probably a good max for him, but I'm going to say probably around six or seven. So under for Dunlap.
0: I will also say under. Um, I think that that is a difficult number to reach, especially when you're a 10th ten- year defensive lineman. I think he, he might be more in the six to seven range there, but uh, I will say under, Sorry, Carlos. Um, What about Geno Atkins? These two guys basically are 1 2 all time in career sacks. Geno Atkins has uh, just a tiny bit less than Carlos Dunlap. Carlos Dunlap has kind of been, you know, right around that 8 9 mark almost throughout his entire career where Geno Atkins has been closer to the double digits most of his career, but then he'll have the occasional year where he has three sacks, six sacks, you know, that sort of thing. So right. last three years, last let's go last four years for Geno, 11 sacks, nine sacks, nine sacks, and then 10 sacks last year. Do you think eight sacks is too much or too little for Geno Atkins think this year?
1: I'm more confident in Geno hitting that than I am with Dunlap. And it's, it's, it's weird to say because he is an interior rusher and Dunlap goes off the edge, typically off the right, the right edge. And I, I, I I just, I'm, I'm kind of contradicting myself a little bit because I'm like prematurely predicting a slight downfall for Dunlap, but I'm not ready to do that for Juno because I just think, you know, they they are always paired with each other in terms of just, you know, leading that defense coming from the same draft class and just being equally effective in terms of raw, raw stats. But I think, just from an individual standpoint, Gino has just always been a, a, a next-level special player compared to Dunlap, especially at a position where it's harder to, pro, you know, produce production and sacks from 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 his standpoint. You know, where he is with the rest of the elite three techniques in the game probably is more questionable now than it was a couple of years ago. But until I do see the the, the decline from Gino, I, I think. You know, eight to nine sacks is definitely a safer bet with him than it is for Dunlap. Um, you know, last year, very similar to a guy like Carl Lawson. He was getting a lot of pressure but just wasn't finishing it. And that was also, you know, having to do with just with just the way that, you know, the, the, the game scripts were going against the Bengals and where teams were just running the ball later in the game, just not having those pass rushing opportunities and just, you know, teams picking apart defenses that had nothing to do with the pass rush. So if the defense gets better, I think naturally – you're going to have your your pass rushers getting more, you know, ample opportunities to get those sacks. And until I do see the 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 downfall for a truly elite player in Geno Atkins, I'm going to assume he's he maintains in that near elite production with probably eight or nine sacks. So I'm going to go just over.
0: All right, Kendall Morgan says over for Geno uh, in the live YouTube chat. That is uh, Brown Shoe seventy two says under, and I think that was in in reference to the Jesse Bates number for, uh, the interceptions. Um, so, you know, there's, there's some, some opinions out there, but Hey, we're having a little fun with this. Uh, we know that, uh, football is a, a better sport and uh, a lot of people like to bet on a lot of different things. So we thought we'd have a little fun and talk about some, some over and under, and really these are, we feel, I mean, these are kind of realistic numbers um, and and that's what made it tough to bet either way uh, and it's based on averages throughout these guys career and all kinds of different stuff yeah, Anthony
1: had to talk me out of putting 2000 yards or Joe Mixon you know 2- 1500 yards AJ Green like
0: like 10 interceptions Jesse Bates
1: so he's the one who, who made those realistic not me
0: <laughs> uh, yeah I'm 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 the voice of reason on this show for sure no no I'm not This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Kazenza. We're having some fun talking uh, some potential over-under bets with the Bengals and their statistical production. We talked a bit about the positivity that's coming from the national media when it comes to the Cincinnati Bengals. All of a sudden, they're this sleeper team, according to some folks, especially over at the NFL Network, NFL.com. And uh, you know, maybe they're listening to all, listening to all of us and the players talking about, hey, don't forget about us. Don't you know, pay attention to us. You can get this program on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. You can get it on Megaphone, CincyJungle.com, and YouTube. Our apologies for the live listeners who were expecting to see some video. We tried to do a couple of different things, and apparently, all you saw was John's face and the OBI logo. Which is what you
1: need to see. It. Well, yeah.
0: really, it really, yeah, it really is better than my face. Um, so I don't, I don't really know what happened. We tried tinkering with a couple of different things. Um, we'll figure it out. Uh, we haven't really lost video before. We've had other hiccups in this show. Um, but uh, it is what it is. We appreciate those of you who stuck around, and even though we didn't have video. Uh, but, you know, you can still get to our channel on YouTube and uh, listen to the show as well as on all of our audio platforms. Um, I, I did want to say before we'll get to some final thoughts here. Uh, I, we just got a text a little bit ago from, I think it was from Ken Dipple who is in the live YouTube chat as well, saying he's got two, two good tickets uh, for the, the Ravens game on on November 10th at Paul Brown Stadium that he's looking to sell. They're right in the middle of goalposts um, and good good seats apparently. So um, if you are interested in buying those, we can connect you to Ken or uh, get in touch with him in the live YouTube chat. He's in, he's He's also here on a lot of different uh, episodes that we record. So, And thank you, Ken, for that. Um, so get in touch with him And if you're interested in those tickets. Uh, heck, I may even take him up on that. I don't know. But uh, I thought I'd at least throw him a solid and see if, if he can uh, unload those on some willing Bengals fan. Not to Ravens fans, though. The invitation is closed to them. <laughs> Any final thoughts, John? I
1: actually th- – th- there was one game where I – I've been to plenty of Bengals Bengals games, but there was one game where I did sit behind the goalpost, and it was the game where Carson Palmer came back with the Raiders. And there was a lot of good memories from that game. But I distinctly remember there was one Bengals fan who sat like three rows behind me, and he and like I'm sure there's plenty of fans who sit like in any section of the stadium and any stadium really in the league, but he was so ungodly convinced that he could like affect the cadence for for Palmer, and he would always scream "Hut." Hut, and there's like, I, I think he screamed Hut a little over 3,000 times during the game. And it was just me and my dad sitting there. We're just, just laughing our, our butts off just at this guy who was just, I think he had like, like shoulder pads too. Like, like when, when me and him went to games, it would always be in the same section. We'd, we'd like know the people around. They were very mild mannered people, but you go down to the lower bowl of PBS, and it, for me, it was just a whole other experience. So good seats there. Um, hopefully, you see Hut. Hutman the guy guy who can convince the cadence but if not yeah, still good season
0: I would assume well that was quite the selling point for the tickets there John I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> now it happens everywhere though there's always there's always quote unquote that guy everywhere um, just a little more tolerable when it's a it's a guy rooting for the team that you care about or you're rooting for right um, but yeah uh, it happens everywhere. And uh, like I said, if if any of you folks are interested, um, we can we can connect you with Ken or uh, any of that cause that's what we do. We're connectors of people. That's what we do. We bring Bengal's fans together on this show. Thanks everyone for tuning in. we uh, We may do a listener question segment show again this friday. we'll We'll keep you updated on that. Um, schedule permitting. Otherwise we'll wait to get, we'll wait a week and get to that next week. Um, but keep it to our Twitter feed at bangles, and CincyJungle.com to get some alerts on that. We'll let you know. Um, it would probably be a Friday afternoon um, slash evening for, for the uh, early evening for the East coast time folks. So um, yeah, we'll let you know, but for now, that's going to do it for us. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading the program. We'll see you next time. For John Sheeran, I'm Anthony Cazenza. This has been the Orange and Black Insider Bengals Podcast.